Alright, where's that sepia shit at? Because that looks dope as fuck. Where's it at? There Peace. Alright, that looks dope. Alright, ladies, you know what I'm saying? Hold that weed, right? Take this gun right here, you know what I'm saying? This just in. Three sucker MCs were knocked over oh, by the microphone assassin. He's blasting it. Bring trucks, bring the screamer from the checks up and cash in. Fashion models who ain't down with my shit. Ow. Can't even count how many hoes that I've been with. The rhymes and the mic are like a corporate merger. They go together with Randy Cut and a cheeseburger. The day that J Rock loses his flow is the day that hair on Jim Leahy's bald head grow in escrow. My rhymes are being kept. I've been kicking it while other motherfuckers slept. I'm the microphone assassin. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by ProLineStadium.com, Atlantic Canada's home field for great sports betting. A new year is here, which means new ProLine offers, okay? You can earn up to $100 in tokens all month long. Spend $25 or more on a single ProLine or stadium bet wager at ProLineStadium.com from January 1st all the way to January 31st and receive a $10 free play token that could be used on ProLine Stadium Bets Fantasy or Futures. A total of 10 tokens can be earned during the month of January. That's up to $100 towards ProLine. Tokens earned must be used by March 31st, 2023. Bet on ProLine all season long at ProLineStadium.com or download the ALC app. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. This life is absolutely uh, insane. It's, it's, it's weird. When you put your actual mind on something, it can happen. If you just keep thinking about it, you know, today's guest, Jonathan Torrance, huge guest, really excited to have Jonathan on. You know, I've been thinking about having Jonathan on for seven, eight years back when we started this podcast. Like, I, I remember, you know, when you first, when I first started this podcast, I would, well, first of all, I, li- I was living at my parents' place. I lied to them. I would go, yeah, look, all right, I'm going to work uh, 7 a.m. I'm going to the chip factory, get on, I'd say I... Well, I did get on the bus, but I didn't go to the chip factory. I went right downtown to Spring Garden Road, went into Starbucks, and I just mess- messaged anyone. Hey, will you come on the podcast? Hey, will you come on the podcast? Anyone. And, you know, obviously you're thinking of these big names. You're thinking of Jonathan. You're thinking of you, uh, Sid. You're thinking of, you know, you're thinking of all these big names. And the crazy thing about back then when I was sitting in Starbucks at 7 a.m., whenever it was hustling the crazy thing is is that I actually believed that this day would come that these guests would come on I didn't just go through the motions and go I don't know maybe like I was actually crazy insane and actually believed it and walked around and told myself yeah one day J-Rock's gonna be on the podcast just mark my words watch I didn't tell anyone that I kept it in my head but I actually walked around believing it. And even back then when the only people I could get on the podcast were my friends, you know, I actually considered having my, my parents on, you know, like just, just any, just anyone that would be willing to sit down and talk on a mic back in those days. You're, I was crazy enough to think, okay, th- this day will come. 
just keep plugging away, keep working and, and it'll happen. And now, you know, the days that have rolled around, you know, it's, it's, it's still unbelievable that I can message some people that I'm able to message and be like, Hey man, do you mind jumping on this podcast right quick? Hey, do you mind if you get me this guy's number? I just have to ask him a quick question. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of connections that this podcast has, um, given me. And it all comes from a crazy belief system from back when I'm sitting at Starbucks at 7am. And it doesn't even matter what you're doing in life. You don't have to be doing a podcast. You don't have to be starting a company. I don't even know what other people are trying to achieve in life. I only know what I'm trying to achieve. But whatever you're trying to achieve, just literally be crazy about it. Just walk around believing it. Don't tell anyone because most people will think you're nuts. And then that can that can maybe you know affect your uh, confidence or whatever. Keep it to yourself. But walk around in your head and think it. And then maybe eight years later, it'll it'll actually happen. And it's uh, it's happened for us here at High Button Sports to get Jonathan Torrens on. It's it's absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, Jonathan Torrens coming on the podcast today. Most of you know him as J Rock from the hit TV series The Trailer Park Boys. Uh, he also hosted a talk show called John Ovision. He had Street Sense. Um, before he was more of a television personality before J-Rock and then he moved into the acting side like after J-Rock well you know what can't you do one of the best television personalities of all time if you ask me not just within Canada but across the world Trailer Park Boys is one of the most famous shows in the world to this day um can't wait to talk to Jonathan gonna be a great episode just one of those special 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 guests it's gonna be awesome all right I'm Justin. Uh, we're talking to Jonathan Torrens. Dudes is here as well. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. All right. Not just any guest. It's a very special guest. The guest that we've wanted to have on since we first started this podcast. You've always been in the back of our heads. So to have you here. Why Mr. the back of your heads? Because you don't really actually think it'll come true. Like mm. you, 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 like you, you do think it'll come true. Like you obviously wish and hope that you have a, a gentleman like yourself on here, but you kind of don't let it ruin your day. Oh, Jonathan didn't come on again today. He didn't come on again today. <laughs> and to actually have you here, it's uh, it's a huge accomplishment for us. It's an honor to have you here in the studio slash basement. Welcome to the show it's such Jonathan a pleasure Torrance. to be here thank you i didn't mean to interrupt your intro twice that was very kind and uh i actually give more thought to the fact that i haven't been here than you would probably believe stop no i'm serious and i do, I do feel uh constant low level guilt about things that i've said no to or haven't delivered on yet so i was at the ice jam recently and saw you there and what an incredible thing you guys are doing first of all um I, I know this firsthand because I was there to see a friend's son who's playing on the Notre Dame Hounds under 18 team. His mom was in Vegas with another of their son who was playing hockey. Their dad was in Boston with another of their son playing hockey. And their son just got traded to the Notre Dame Hounds this week. And it was his first tournament. They were able to watch their kid play in this tournament in Halifax because of what you guys are doing. Love it. So it, it was uh, it was really special to see you guys there and see what you're doing. And I ended up watching uh, the Hounds next game because the weather was dicey. I didn't drive in. I ended up watching it through what you guys are doing. And it's just the best. I love it. It's like tiny, tiny dome productions. Yeah, you, you, We work so hard on it. We don't even list. Like these stories are just like, again, back of our head. Because all we're worried about is like the product, the product, the product. So when we sit down and we hear stuff like this, it just makes it 
all worth it type of thing. Mm-hmm. And you realize that the model the model can scale. You can have more cameras or more play-by-play people or color people or whatever, but it works. Yeah. And just start doing it small like this and get your game tight and then keep expanding the rings a little bit. Like it, it, the future is bright. We might need to, we have a meeting as soon as you're leaving. We might need to just stick around, <laughs> pitch a couple ideas yeah, to okay. us. We, we, might, we might need you. I'm in. So let's let's uh, first of all thank you for those kind words. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We're really happy to, to to have you here. And you know, all three of us, we go back and we look at your history on uh, on TV, film, whatever it may have been from back when we were kids. You know, we obviously know the J Rock character. Uh, maybe he doesn't know John O'Vision and some of the <laughs> other things. But we we we, we uh, you know. We idolized you growing up and to have you sitting here, it's unbelievable. And to see the craft that you've been able to, uh, I guess you could say master, wh- where did it start? Where did it start going? Okay, Jonathan, wait a second. You're pretty good at, you're comfortable in front of a camera. You're comfortable at maybe portraying a character. When, when did when did it start to hit into your head? How old were you? It's kind of, uh, those are kind of two different questions in a way, because I've always, even as a kid, liked accents and characters. And it's kind of fun because I see it in my girls now. They kind of try on different characteristics and <laughs> uh, workshop bits around the house, which is kind of how it always started for me. But when I was a teenager, I was going to St. Pat's High School on Quimple Road in Halifax, working at McDonald's on Quimple Road. And uh, we didn't have a whole lot. Um, in fact, if you worked a three-hour shift in those days, you'd get a meal. So I'd sometimes leave school to go work a three-hour shift at McDonald's, get my lunch on, wow. drop by last period. Um, <laughs> not selling this as a good path for people, but just uh, explaining kind of the context of where I was in life. Didn't really have the marks that would have allowed me to go to university. And this opportunity came up to audition for a show called Street Sense. And I didn't get it. It was a consumer affairs show for teenagers about money, something that they didn't talk a lot about, something that sounds kind of bone dry. And that was the challenge of the show was to make that subject matter fun. And the way to do it was through parodies and impressions and uh, putting real teenagers on the show to talk about money. Um, So my first piece uh, was to eat fast food for a week and report on it if it made me feel any different. So I was still working at McDonald's and doing this piece for the CBC show. Um, long story slightly longer, the host that they did hire it wasn't a good fit, and I ended up coming on in the third episode of the first season and went away to the races. Were you a bit of a class clown in high school? Definitely. Yeah, okay. And I remember my mother sent me to, to um, my parent-teacher interviews in junior high. <laughs> she was like, well, we might as well eliminate the middleman. Anything they have to say to me, they can just say directly to you. And I remember one after the other, the teachers were like, I, I would say, how am I doing in math, Don? And I'd be like, well, honestly, you're a smart enough guy, but I just don't understand why you have to ruin it for everyone else. And I, I couldn't... I couldn't pass up the opportunity to go for the joke. There, there were no stakes. School wasn't my environment. I didn't thrive there. There was a direct correlation between the subjects that interested me. And if I had good teachers, I did well. If I wasn't engaged or didn't have good chemistry with the teacher, I didn't. Um, so all this to say, I worked on Street Sense for a few years. Wanted to go to Ryerson to study radio and television arts. That's where... No yeah, way. Yeah. Yep. So I had this conversation with a registrar who was there. It's a great program. Mm-hmm. I was working at CBC on Street Sense, and I said, I want to come there and study radio and television arts. And she said, okay, why? I said, well, because I'm working on Street Sense, and I love it. Um, get to travel for work, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of nosy by nature, and I find people will tell you stuff with a camera pointed in their face <laughs> that they wouldn't tell you otherwise. Uh, and she said, but you are working 
And I said, yeah, so I want to come study the thing. And she was like, our graduates would love to have the opportunity that you have. If I was you, I would show up early and stay late and take criticism and take on extra work. So it would have been a backward step for you is what she was saying. Yeah, okay. which was so generous of her mm. and life-altering. So I never pursued school beyond high school yeah. and just – put my nose to the grindstone and kept hustling. It's funny because back then, maybe not so much today, but back then it was school, school, school first, then job, job, job. But you kind of switched it. Yeah. Yeah. Switched it in that I never ended up going to school. And it's something I always thought like, you know what? I wouldn't mind doing an arts degree at some point, like kind of chip away at it on the side. And I just never have. But it's a great reminder that there are different paths to uh, your destination. Like school doesn't work for everyone. I see this through my sister-in-law as a teacher, and I think she has nine learning levels in her classroom that she has to try to accommodate and help and encourage and nurture and make everyone feel like they're doing great, right? So having this conversation with my girls this morning, they don't have uh, deadlines and due dates and stakes. You can't fail in school anymore. So I'll say, like, when's oh. that due? And she's like, oh, he said Monday. But if you don't get it finished Monday, Friday's okay. And if you, Friday doesn't happen, the Monday after that's fine. We were living in the wrong era. We yeah. should have been. I know. That, I would have loved that. Yeah. No deadlines? I would have done well. I know. But all the stuff that this registrar said, which included, like, say please and thank you and learn people's names and all that stuff is actually the good stuff that has served me my whole career. I know I've gotten jobs because I say please and thank you and remember people's names and I'm polite. Yep. As yeah. dumb as that sounds, kindergarten stuff <laughs> has served me well. 100%. That's one of the biggest things they teach you too when you're younger. My parents taught me it. Mm. Like I remember I was ordering my own food at a restaurant when I was like nine or 10. Like, you know, how some parents just order for the kid. Like, yeah, he'll get a grilled cheese with some fries. My mom and dad would be like, you're ordering. Make sure you say please and thank you, and then you shut up. So that like, kind of taught me the skills back then to talk to adults, be polite, and get, get what you want. Like, you know what I mean? And the older I get, the more I realize that EQ, the ability to read the room and sort of pick up on the vibe, mm. is as important, if not more so, than IQ. Because you can learn a skill mm. set, but the... Uh, manners and how you carry yourself. Those are the things that can't be taught. You either have that or you don't. Great. I love hearing that from mm. someone of your stature that knows those fundamental lessons. That's well, I'm great. trying to instill them in, in my kids, kids too. Yeah, they yeah. order for themselves yeah. and um, are comfortable in any room with any adult. And I, I think that's really important. Like, you know, you meet someone who has an 18 year old kid and they're like, this is my son, Dennis. And they're like, do you want to give him a high five, buddy? Like oh, by, <laughs> by 18, be you should probably hands. be able to look someone in the eye and say, it's a pleasure to meet you with yeah, your yeah. hand extended. My mom, it was a different time, of course, but I remember her saying, here's a thousand bucks in cash. Can you go deposit this at the bank? How? <laughs> well, ask questions when you get there. Yep. Like probably too far to the other end of the pendulum. Yeah. She gave us so much freedom that um, we were always kind of independent in the world. So did you have an agent starting out or were you your own agent? Did you navigate your way and build these relationships yourself? I I am and was my own agent. Um, to this day, you, you don't have an agent? No. No way. No, because the for two reasons. One is the likelihood that someone could negotiate more than 15% above what I can, thereby earning their keep, is slim. And the second thing is, it makes people so fundamentally uncomfortable to discuss matters of money with me directly <laughs> that it often works in my favor. 
So explain that. So say that again. Sorry, I'm a little um, slow. If you're talking to me about money, <laughs> yeah, uh, there are two techniques that can be employed. Okay. One is mine, and one is the John Dunsworth method. <laughs> okay. John, who yeah, of yeah, course yeah. played yeah. Mr. Leahy on Trailer Park Boys, all time great character and human legend uh legend what a yeah. mural up on quinpool eh? unbelievable who did that you know i don't know but they should be in here awesome. he's a muralist from the states and he used an ipad to like uh look where the kind of tag should what? be and it just kind of happened over the course of a couple of days yeah wild story Let's talk about talent and beautiful tribute I burst into tears when I saw it because it's so evocative mm-hmm. of John and and the guy who made it had never met him and it, oh, yeah. it was just one of those uh, like how how did you get the spirit of him without ever having met him anyway so if we're negotiating and you want to hire me for something and you say just say we'd like to offer you a thousand dollars I'd love to offer you a thousand dollars to appear on a high button sports commercial. Is, uh, I mean, 1500 Feels gross, right? Yeah, yeah, it did feel bad. You let the silence just hang there. <laughs> and the laws of social grace that apply to conversation don't apply to negotiation. So mm. you feel the need to jump in and fill the space because it's uncomfortable. And so more often than not, people will be like, I mean, of course, that's just a starting point. We're clipping this out. You so did it. I don't there. want anyone else knowing this. <laughs> you did it there. Literally <laughs> right? what he's explaining. And wow. so John's version of this was say the same thing. We'd like to offer you $1,000. We'd like to offer you $1,000 to feature in a high button sports commercial. $1,000. Uh, if that's okay with you. I just repeated it, what you said, <laughs> but you projected the backspin on it that I didn't even Yeah, my say. head, I was spinning. Like, Is oh my upset? God, I'm offended. offended. I stepped on a landmine. Yeah, yeah, Because we're so <laughs> uncomfortable talking about money mm-hmm. that if you're talking to me about what I'm worth, and I run into this all the time. I would say to people in, in life, you establish your worth. That can be financially or how much time you're expected to put into something. People can say, I am not going to pay that. No problem. But no one can tell me that my rate isn't what I'm worth. So when I've drawn a line in the sand and uh, took me a while as a freelancer to learn the power of the word no, because you always think the phone's never going to ring again or I'm offending someone or I'm going to get a reputation for being difficult. When I've said no, it has uh, done one of two things. One is change the terms. So the person's like, well, what would it take to make that a yes? (laughs) Or... Worst case scenario, I say no, it doesn't come together, and then I've just bought all that time back in my life to do something I'd rather do. So true. Any point past the age of 32, 35, time's just as valuable as money. It is, and and we spend so much time thinking about how we spend our money, and we don't give the same weight to how we spend our time. And at my age, my advanced age, <laughs> it is something you actually think about. So for me to pick gigs... I have three criteria, fun, money, challenge, and any gig has to have two of them. In that order? No, any two. Just two of three. Any two two will do. Obviously, the way you define fun changes at different points in your life. It's not fun for me to go to the West Coast for a half day's work. Mm -hmm. I have a young family. don't want to stray too far from home. It is fun for me to play a character I've never played, do a thing with nice people, go to a place I love, go to a place my girls can come with me. Mm. but anytime I've done something for just one, it's usually money. It has not been satisfying. Speaking of time, we had a lot of time over these past three years, and your Twitter account was probably my favorite over the past three years. Mm-hmm. One, the photos of sunsets and stuff. Two, the positivity that you put out on a day-to-day basis. We're going to get through this on, on that 
scale. Um, I don't even know what the third one was, but it was just something I, I always enjoyed looking at. Was it a goal of yours to put out a positive message during the pandemic or was it just who you are and it, it just comes from your soul? It's just natural. Obviously, everyone needed a little bit of a, an upkeep during that time. Everyone knows who you are. Was it a mission of yours or did it just happen naturally? I thought it was kind of a crock the whole we're all in this together. Okay. Because if I'm in a bachelor condo at Young and Bloor on the 37th floor, <laughs> far from my friends and family and afraid to touch the elevator button, that's a very <laughs> different experience than it was for me being in my home that I love with the people that I love with our lives not changing all that much. Um, so I, I was imagining what a simple... Uh, gesture of, hey, hope you're doing okay, would mean if someone really needed to hear that. And it turned out people really did. So it didn't start out as a, a mission per se, but it sort of morphed into one when I realized that even a nice picture and a good news, we're almost through this, seemed to mean a lot to people. That's an easy thing I can do. Mm -hmm. I have a very conflicted relationship with social media and um the exchange, uh, because the exchange has changed from when I was coming up. I used to meet people on the street who would say, hey, you're a buddy from Street Sense, right? Yeah. Remember, you guys did a story on gum. Yeah. My uh, uncle works at a gum factory, and we actually were trying out new flavors, and he brought home some dill pickle gum. No way. What's your name? Dennis. What's your name? Jonathan. Cool, man. Great to meet you. Now it's your uh, J-Rock, right? Yeah, True. I don't know your name. We haven't shaken hands. We haven't made eye contact. It's a very one-way exchange because it's just for a selfie for the gram. And the weird thing is, I, I love meeting people. I love hearing, like, where are you from, Dennis? Oh, funny. Well, I grew up in a Cape Breton, but now I moved here. And uh, it's a two-way exchange. And I, I, I take something away from that. But the selfie for the gram is uh, not as satisfying I don't get anything from that exchange. Being recognized doesn't fill my cup. Um, and the other weird thing is, I always say when you do this, you start from a dick deficit. People assume you're a dick. So to get to, eh, it's all right. Yeah. Requires some effort. But to yeah. get to, you know who I met who's actually not half bad? <laughs> requires, like, it's weird. He bought me a piece of land in New Brunswick. Like, he didn't have to do that. Like, you have to work overtime to just get to, he's, Pretty decent guy. guy. Yeah. Time. So with this selfie business, <laughs> if I say no, like, you know who I met who's kind of full of himself? Um, that's the easiest way for that to travel. Or the other option is low angle shot with a flash on Argyle Street after dark. Like, grab a quick picture, man. Gork. <laughs> and they fire it up on the ground. People are like, whoa, J-Rock, man. Don't Double look chin. the same. What's yeah. going on there? <laughs> so these are the choices that I have in life. Um, don't get me wrong. It's a high class problem. And as a friend of mine always says, no whining on the yacht. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people don't consider that aspect of the transaction. So, so I at least appreciate when people say, Hey, my name's Gary. Yeah. Would it be okay if we grabbed a quick picture? Cause I, I like that thing you did on that thing. Did you have a conversation with yourself in the mirror before you went on this path of the, the public image? I did. I thought if I'm going to put myself on a camera, I got to be aware of it one day when I have kids, one day when I have a wife, one day when uh, I'm going through life and I'm just kind of a, a little bit of a public figure. 
I had that conversation. I knew I was going to be, I was willing to take sacrifices for those moments. Not that those moments are as big as yours right now, but did you have that conversation with yourself before going on the journey that you're pretty much on now? No, no, no. You just went into it. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, I, I took street sense at the, at the time when I needed the dough and it was an exciting opportunity. I was 15 years old. So I didn't even have time as an adult. You just needed money. To sit down and think, yeah. okay, what's my plan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I find life is like that sometimes. Like with being a parent, you never say, okay, Janice, we're ready. The room is painted. We're getting our mortgage <laughs> payments. I have those RSPs. It's time. Like it's sort of things happen yeah. and you find a way to get behind it, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, so it, I, it was never that much of a runway. Like every year on Street Sense, is it going to be renewed? Not sure. Every year on Jonavision, is it coming back? I guess we'll find out. So there's never enough of a plan to think, now I'm going to give attention to all those other things that I've uh, always wondered about. Also, the technology thing has happened over the course of my career. It wasn't like that beforehand. We used to get snail mail, right? Like, Pe- hey, J-Rock, big fan, like like that. Yeah. Like, just like, yeah, because back when the show was, like what, n- mid, early 2000s. Early there's 2000s. No, yeah. There's snail there's none of mail. There's none of that. And that's why... Uh, growing up working on CBC, as someone who was from the regions, it was really important because if you lived in the Paw, Manitoba, the only way to know what teenagers in Canada were doing or wearing was either a subscription to Chickadee magazine, which you get once a month, <laughs> or you watch TV. So it was something that we did by ourselves, but we did it by ourselves in great groups at the same time. Yeah. So you'd have the same reference points. Um, everything's so fragmented and fractured now, of course, because you might be on Yellowstone season three and I'm watching Virgin River season one. <laughs> so that Friday morning, did you see must see TV last night thing that used to connect us mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore in the same way. That's yeah, I never, yeah, I never thought of it from that perspective. Everything I connect to is on the phone, not a show. It's just, how's that guy dressing in New York? So then what were the upsides of this show business life that after the conversation with yourself, you were like, despite all of those selfie moments, I'm willing to risk it. What do you mean? What, what was the upside of it? Yeah. Like you, just... you had the conversation with yourself. What, what was the other side of, okay, just know you're going to, people are going to ask for selfies, but. Uh, just waking up on a Tuesday, being able to sleep in till 11 if I want. Not having to go. I the, the biggest thing in life I regretted or hated was just having someone tell me what to do five days out of the week. Yeah. I really couldn't care less about anyone else's opinion. I do with, within the company, but for someone telling me what to do at a job I hate, yo, I don't care what you're talking about, buddy. Right. So this was uh, the, the upside of it, just being able to work hard on something that I love to do and actually see uh, results. Like you don't see results for the first five, six years, maybe, you know, four or five, but you know, we're going into year like seven, eight. I don't even know now, but there's results and it's the most satisfying thing in the world. Yeah, it's the best. It's there. There's, I just, because I said this on the intro, like back when I first started this podcast, I'd go to Starbucks, just pray someone would come on, come on, anyone. Just, it would be my buddies. And you think of guys like you, you think of Sid, you think of mm-hmm. McKinnon, you think of all these guys. And then eventually it happens. You're like, whoa, Justin, you're right. It's actually working. You call you, you predicted it and now it's happening. It's like magic. It's, it's weird real weird and you listen to other successful people and they say just go for it and you mm-hmm. think they're bullshitting but then you do it and it's like whoa that fuck it works yeah it's, cool. it's weird it's and if you put crazy. your head down and do the work then it just kind of starts to happen right you get one percent better or bigger every yeah. few months yeah. it's happening 
with the J-Rock character. How did that start? In a mirror? It's one of the <laughs> great stories of my life because I almost said no. Oh. Was there other people auditioning for the role? No. Um, Clattenburg, uh, the creator of the show, Mike Clattenburg, worked at Street Sense. And we used to... He went to Cole Harbor High, and I went to St. Pat's, and there were lots of J-Rocks at our school. Like, you have to remember, this is like, this is early 2000s, right? Like, that character has been done and kind of played out. Like, we've seen that guy a lot. Like, no regrets or, like, that guy. (laughs) Not one? Not one regret? There have been a lot of of those characters since. But at the time, it was sort of new. Like, it was even kind of before Eminem when we were on Street Sense. Like, that... Mm -hmm. The Beastie Boys were around, but as far as like white rapper guy, we knew those from our high school. So at CBC in Halifax, they're producing like the Supper Hour News, and Mike and I would use the page system in the building. Like, hey, Mike, meet me out of the truck, duh. <laughs> and people are like, what is happening in this building? <laughs> so his friends, Rob and JP, who went on to play Ricky and Julian, yep. were living in Charlottetown with Pat, who plays Randy, and they were bored. They opened a pizza shop in Charlottetown and uh, it was a bar. And the people that go to a bar when you open a new bar in a small town are all the people who've been kicked out of every other bar for life. (laughs) So they learned like the first afternoon, our clientele is going to be a bit of a bumpy road. So to amuse themselves, they started shooting these little skits and they'd send them over to Mike on VHS tapes and he would kind of watch them and sort of had the germ of an idea for something that might be a show. And he said, you should play that character that we always joke around uh, as at CBC. Um, And there's such a sense of humor about those uh, dudes. And I always think Mike used to work at Sobeys and Cole Harbor with this guy named Arnold. And Arnold's one of those tall, skinny dudes. And the manager would come over in the produce section and say, Arnold, you're going to wash the lettuce? Yeah, I'll wash it, man. And the manager would walk away and Arnold wouldn't do anything. And Mike would say, are you going to wash the lettuce, Arnold? And Arnold would go, he ain't beating me. Which meant if it came down to a fight, the manager couldn't make Arnold wash the lettuce. And there's something so innately funny about that. And it felt so Dartmouth. Like, that's yes. the only word to describe it. So Mike said, you should play that character on the show that I'm making with these guys. And um, this was in, like, the fall of probably 1999. Wow. So I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. In January... 2000 i was in a car accident and broke my femur in five places and came down off the pain meds and i was in a wheelchair what and was in a wheelchair for a couple months leaving living at a rented senior citizens apartment in the north end of halifax so i could be close to physio how old have you been in fact there's a hockey connection there um i lived in the uh, the owner of the place, her nephew is, who's Halifax uh, coach, NHL, famous last name. There was a sto- bonus, Rick Bonus. Yes. Yeah. Rick it was bonus? his aunt. No way. I lived at Rick's aunt's place in the north end of Halifax. <laughs> and uh, I was in what? a wheelchair for a couple of months. And then I graduated to crutches. Mm. And then I was walking with a cane. And it was like May. Was there a limp? Pimp, yeah. Pimp cane. So I called Clattenburg in May. I was like, I don't think I can do that show. It's starting in June. And he's like, why? And I said, because uh, I'm still walking with a cane. Like every scene, I'm going to have to either be sitting down or leaning against a wall. Like I can't walk without it. And he was like, just rock it. So that's why J-Rock has a cane in season one of Trailer Park Boys. It was because I couldn't walk without it. Is that where the because... name came from? J-Rock? 
did he say just rock it? Just rock it. Did oh, it? that would have been good. <laughs> the name actually came from we were out at the liquor dome with Rob and JP, and we went to get fries at Bud the Spot afterwards. Bud, and Julian, JP said, uh, pass the ketchup, J Rock. And that's where the name came from. Wow. But all this to say, I almost said no because in my mind, the cane thing was such a bigger deal than it actually was. And in my mind, people are going to be like, man, have you seen that show with Kane guy? I'm not watching that garbage. <laughs> no one cared. People just assumed it was a choice. Mm. So what I always say when I'm talking to schools is whatever your cane is, real or perceived, mental or emotional or physical, just rock it. And as long as you rock it, everyone else is going to be like, okay, that's cool, man. And all the other people with a cane are like, that's my guy right there. <laughs> so sometimes the things that we blow up in our mind as being our biggest weakness are actually our kind of superpower in a way. So imagine if I'd said no because I was feeling a bit weird about having a cane. Yeah. I guaranteed I wouldn't be sitting here right now. How old were you when it started? So I'm thinking of just like, um, you know, insecurities. Late 20s. Late 20s. Okay, you're still you're comfortable the, with yeah. yourself. It's a like, tough point, though, too, late, in your life, right? Late 20s? Yeah, you're still not entirely sure what you're all about. Or, and like you said, the whole cane situation, it's like, that's almost like your inner anxiety going, I can't do this because yeah. of this. People are going to look at me different. But then you opened up doors for everybody else going, like you said, that's my guy. And exactly. Wow, people that have a cane can do these things. And, yeah. and it's, but when you're 20, you don't really, you haven't had enough experience to kind of lay out who you are as a person yet, yeah. I don't find. Well, you know that, that saying, like, you'd care a whole lot less about what other people thought of you if you knew how seldom they did? Yeah. It's funny that yeah. the cane thing loomed so large in my mind. No one else cared. Nope. So we should get out, out of our own way more and uh, care less. Like, that's pretty self-centered of me to assume that the cane would be in the review of Trailer Park <laughs> Turns out the reviews were terrible. People hated the show when it came out. Really? All great shows. So it is. They're like, not not only do we uh, did it miss the mark, we don't even know what the mark was. <laughs> so we thought yeah. maybe people in Dartmouth will find it funny. And then suddenly there's like people in Alberta going, we love this show, man. So we assumed, well, it must be people from Dartmouth working out there. But then... All of a sudden, uh, Our Lady Peace, Taggart's band, took Ricky, Julian, and Bubbles out on tour with them across the country when the show was brand new. And it was just a groundswell. And bands like The Hip and Rush were like sharing DVDs, like tour buses. Like, have you guys seen this? And it just caught fire with athletes and uh, musicians. Unreal. That was it. I love that you said Rush. Sorry. When I think of characters, sometimes I think of characters like changing throughout the... Like when I think of Kramer, for example... He started out slow and dumb, and by the end of the season, he's quick, witty, really smart. Not really smart, but you know what I mean. But J-Rock character, correct me if I'm wrong, that's why I'm kind of happy that you're here, dudes, is that <laughs> from the first time I saw you to the later episodes, it was the same guy. But since the actual guy sitting across from me, was there any change that the blind eye didn't see? Hmm. Or were you the same J-Rock from first time to the last episode? I'd like to think so. Like I, I, I notice this with shows all the time. You can't change a, a show's DNA. Yeah, but it's your DNA. It's right, not the right. character so, specific. Um, yeah. I, I would argue that Bubbles, for example, is a different character in later seasons than mm -hmm. he was early on. So yeah. I guess... Agreed. I guess you kind of uh, could argue that he uh, found his swag and gained some confidence and buoyed by the support of his friends. He kind of came out of his shell a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but if you watch an episode from season one and an episode from season whatever, Bubbles is kind of fundamentally different i don't think j-rock ever went on that okay thing 
around some sometime around season five or six, someone asked me if I felt sorry for J Rock, and it had never occurred to me that you would. And I think sometimes when you're playing a character like that, um, uh, overconfident and underqualified is my favorite intersection. Say that again, sorry. Under overconfident and underqualified. Overconfident, underqualified. Like, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is no awesome. Noah from Letterkenny <laughs> is that. Uh, Remy Nadeau from Shorzy is that. Uh, my character on Mr. D was that. J Rock right. is that. Um, that's just what personally makes me laugh. But I, I think if you're going to play a character like that, you can't feel sorry for him at the same time. You've got to kind of believe that you are that guy, right? Wicked. So, uh, sorry, you were going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I think I think that's one of the appeals of Trailer Park Boys as a whole. I think it's that no one there is feeling sorry for himself. Ricky's goals are just like, <laughs> I want to quit smoking and sell dope so Get my daughter 10. can have a nice life and get my grade 10 like he's not feeling like he's been dealt a garbage hand or having to overcome something that's just his life and i i remember at points in my life when things have happened that weren't fun or pleasant the thing that i hated was people judging me or like sad eyes or like oh man poor guy like i i don't like that feeling no one in the park feels sorry for themselves yeah in the park it's it's funny i'm gonna piggyback on that because i have watched probably every episode of every season a thousand times. And I don't think you really changed as a character. It was just some of your terminologies where you start to go, ha and stuff like that. So it was more like your, your quotations is what kind of changed, but the character as a whole stayed the same. And I think that's good because as the seasons went on and it, gain more traction people started to crave that character so if you would have been gone from the seasons people would have been going where's j-rock what's going on you know what i mean and that's i think what you're saying is where you stayed in that pocket but you just kind of switched little things and that kept people happy and probably you as well why well, like huh? wasn't at the beginning no because no. you always used to say like no i'm saying and stuff but then you had you had the young boy that as your son and you guys were in the bus or whatever and you'd always say like get in the bus huh? get your jammies on huh? you know, Do you know, you know how that happened i was working as a producer on the jenny mccarthy show for vh1 yeah and french montana came in as a guest <laughs> and he was so banged up on vodka <laughs> that she would say like how are you today and he's like <laughs> and i was like <laughs> that's so like i've never heard of that so i thought if J-Rock took that, but kind of added a side salad of Canada goose to it, yep. so it was more like, wah. Um, that's where that that came from. But I, I never want to overstay my welcome. I would always rather be the character that people are like happy to see than that's enough, J-Rock. Yeah. I always saw him as garnish, not the main dish. I don't think you'd want to see a J-Rock oh. spinoff. Um, like that uh, number seven to ten on the call sheet, that's that's my sweet spot. Okay. No one gets tired of you. Um, so every seven pages, I'd show up and diss Randy for a couple of pages and be gone. <laughs> um, but I, I always felt like, when is it tired? When's it played out? Are people getting sick of this? I would rather just fundamentally, I'd rather leave before people are like, get him come on, here. buddy. It's getting, it's getting a little old. So uh, there were things that I could get behind because I was in the writer's room in those later seasons too. I felt like J-Rock having a kid yep. was like, that's new turf. That's mm-hmm. fun. And then in the last season, that's kind of a victory lap. J-Rock got married to this woman from Spain and I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of, or, or from Mexico. And I kind of bought that. If you watch the prequel, the Christmas special, J-Rock and T were grunge. So there had kind of yes. been a, a history established where he does kind of scotch tape different personas onto himself. So I sort of bought that he would be the guy who went to Cancun for a week and would come back with an accent. 
Okay, yeah. Um, That's just how you rolled in the show, too, yeah. though, right? And like, especially he's keeping it up in front of her, like, what are you doing? What are your face? <laughs> but then with the boys, he's like, dog, you got it. You know, she doesn't know I'm not Mexican, dog. You got to cover <laughs> for me. Like, I, I buy that. It's a little cartoonish as a premise, but I actually buy the math of that. That checks out for me. I feel like the character itself is kind of cartoonish, though, too, right? Like you said, you guys were just joking around over the walkie-talkies, and that kind of came through, and you said there's a ton of J-Rocks out there, which when you said it, we all died because it's true. But it's just now to put the spotlight on that specific character, you almost have to cartoon it, cartoonize well, I, it. I was worried because uh, I wasn't sure it would be taken in the spirit it was intended. So um, if the rap community would be like, why are you making fun of us? Yeah. And then if the real J rocks would be um, offended, <laughs> which is kind of a funny the guy sentiment. washing the lettuce. These days, me. Yeah, 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 these exactly. days, maybe, but back then that you weren't offending people as easily. That's right? the thing. So the rap community was like, first oh, yeah. of all, thank you mm-hmm. for making fun of those dudes. And then the J rocks were like, thanks for giving us a voice. G That's it. Like, <laughs> amazing. You made them popular. So somehow win-win. it didn't offend anyone. Yep. And uh, to your point, you couldn't probably, um, have a J-Rock now without it being put under the microscope. Um, but but ultimately, the thing that I'm, I'm really proud of about the show is that uh, if there's an external force that's a threat present, Leahy and Ricky banded together and fought side by side, mm-hmm. right? So the thing that I <laughs> love about J-Rock is that's just J-Rock. And when you grow up in a small town, there are those guys like everyone knows Kenny who wears a vest with no shirt under it and hangs out by the Irving. Yep. That's just Kenny. Oh, that's just Kenny. And it's okay to have just Kenny's in the world. And I like in that show uh, in the earlier seasons, especially no one ever labeled Randy and Leahy's relationship. It was just Leahy and Randy. No one ever called Bubbles disparaging terms that society sometimes uses for people who are overcoming challenges. He's just Bubbles. And and that is, it's a little fine line of morals, mm-hmm. but that was the thing that Clattenburg did, especially he would sand off the rough edges with a close-up of a kitten or a little girl riding a bike. Man, oh, that's so right? funny that you say that, because those are the little the things sour. that you notice when you watch the show a lot. You're like... You don't know why, but it's like there's like a conflict in the in the show, and then all of a sudden it's just like a cat digging in some trash, and you're like, "So that's what that is." It's what like is Nerf that? violence <laughs> with like, a Nerf gun. Yeah, those guys can like <laughs> fire off however yeah. many rounds, and like no one ever like imagine yelling, "How I was just shot!" <laughs> that's probably not what happens. I'm guessing yeah. when you get shot, I just so, died. But even on the the gun stuff, like when it started airing in the states, it was on BBC America, and it was bleeped. What, so the, the gun show, the, the show, bop, 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 yeah. Oh, the show, the show. Jesus, every second word, every second word. So people thought it was a documentary, not a mockumentary. Big difference. And there's such a trailer park culture in the states that people didn't find it as innately funny. No, because um, it was wait. cops from a criminal's point of view. There, there was I, my cousin went to one of your guys's parties back in the mid 2000s, and there was people at That's the party. Such a Maritimes like name I know, drop. I know, <laughs> but <laughs> like cousin. there, there, there was people at that party. She said that thought you guys were not characters. Like, yes. thought, like, and I thought she was joking. She goes, "No, Justin." Like, someone went up to Ricky and asked him for a joint. Like, and called him Ricky. And at that, I think that, if I hadn't been on John Vision, that might have been even worse because I think I was the one sort of nod to the fact that this wasn't entirely re- real. That blew my mind when I heard that story. I was like, there's a, and imagine people all over the world that aren't actually from here that are watching this because it does. It looks like a you know a documentary style. 
It, it's crazy. What I couldn't um, understand is why, especially now with Netflix, it's in Finland and Germany and it's all over the world. Mm. Why does someone in Norway go, that speaks to me? And I was talking <laughs> to a guy from, I think it's from Argentina recently, and he learned to speak English watching Trailer Park Boys. He would tape a bunch of episodes wow. to bring them in, and they would watch them with his English teacher. <laughs> um. And he found it funny, and I was like, what? why, though? Why is that funny to you? It's so uh, geographically specific to us. And he, he said, uh, we have, like, uh, gypsies, like kind of traveling oh, yeah. vagabonds, and so we can relate to a transient population and desperation mm. and doing the best they can. Australia, I heard too. Yeah. Australia. Apparently huge. Can yeah. you imagine learning the English language through an episode of trailer park? Imagine. Like the vulgar you'd have, you know, well, that's well, it. The best part was Clattenburg had an ongoing negotiation with the network in the early seasons where the F's FPMs like F's per minute were yeah. at like four to six. <laughs> and then season two, he was like, what if I wanted a C word? Yeah. And they're like, Give us back two Fs and you can have one C. <laughs> That's what like the meeting would be there like with the network. There was a bartering, yeah. Where where is the showcase? Uh, is it showcase that? No. Yeah, show, showcase. showcase. But where is their office, or, or was it just over the phone? You uh, guys had these conversations. Good question. Probably over the phone. Sometimes face to face, sitting in a boardroom. Yeah, like as it started to get uh, more traction, um, Mike started to get more freedom, rightfully so. Yeah, and. Uh, mm -hmm. We were able to improvise a lot and try to make each other laugh. And at what point came, okay, whoa, let's wait. Jonathan, this guy, he's pretty talented. Maybe let's give him a writing credit. Maybe let's give him a producer credit. Not just on Trailer Park Boys, but in other aspects of your career. You're given the, the reins to create your own things. At what point of uh, the Trailer Park Boys was like, oh, let's give this guy a little creative freedom. Let's see what he comes up with. How? When did that come about? Well, I guess it's, mm. it's not something I was handed so much as something I uh, took or fought for. Mike and I uh, made short films together. Um, back in the day, like on actual film, um, we made music videos for people. There's a music video for a band called Hip Club Groove. Corey from Trailer Park Boys was in a <laughs> band called Hip Club Groove. The song's called Shootin' the Gift, and Clattenburg directed it. I produced it. I'm in it. Corey from Trailer Park Boys, uh, and the other two guys. The other two guys went on to be in Len, Seal My Sunshine. Like there was oh, a real yeah. and uh. Hip Club Groove's record, their biggest record, was called Trailer Park Hip Hop. Yeah. yeah. That's a market. all these tentacles sort of uh, intertwined from Halifax at that time, oh, uh, yeah. arts-wise. That's what, crazy. That's what it, it says they, here. Oh, do you have it up? Hip, hip Club Groove, Trailer Park Just Hip Hop. click it. I want to click it. Just it, turn it up. By the way, bang face it. face it towards us. Oh, you got to pay oh, the bills. Yeah, you got to pay the bills, boys. That's There's crazy. There's some... Uh, there's some references in it to things that happened at the time, like Lorena Bobbitt. Do you remember her? She uh, cut off her husband's bird. That's worth a Google. <laughs> That's definitely worth a Google. His name was John Wayne Bobbitt. He got it sewn back on, and then he was in an adult movie just to show people that it still worked. Cheers. No. Yeah. So there's Corey there. We was babies. Have you ever been out with those guys, like downtown, and someone goes, smokes? Do they ever get annoyed oh, yeah, at that? Yeah, yeah. How no, do they? no. You know who loved it the most was Leahy, because people would pull up next to him at a red light and yell, F you, Leahy. And he was just like. <laughs> he loved it. Yeah. You know why? Because he started working in theater in the 50s and made no money and raised a family and did it for the love of art. And no one got it more than he did what lightning in a bottle this was. Yeah. For everyone no else. Intended. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone else, it was like you get on a show and it blows up and you're a household name. But for him, he was like. 
actually, I've been in the trenches for 40 years, and this is a real gift. No. So he savored it yeah, everywhere was he, he Was went. he one of the first ones? Who was, like, the first one on the set that, like, knew this is going to be something? Because didn't you say early, everyone was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, who was the first one to Like, go? so much fun uh, making each other laugh and bringing costumes from home and eating <laughs> peanut butter sandwiches. Like, it was not <laughs> glamorous, but it was obviously a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone there would have told you it would have blown up the way we thought. But one of my favorite stories is Pat, who plays Randy, worked at Sparkling Springs Water. And he took vacation days to shoot the first season. Mm. And when he went back to work and the show started to come out, his boss was like, I think you got to pick, Pat. I don't think you can be buddy on TV with no shirt on and one of our like VPs of sales. Like, <laughs> like It's one or the other. So Pat was like, well, I guess I'm the guy on TV with no shirt on then. And a year later... Uh, the boss brought him back to do training sessions as Randy. So he came back to Sparkling Springs like That's... with no shirt on to train people how to do the job. You want to talk about opening a different door. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Yeah. The switch. Switch of lifestyle, too. Just the guy doing water yeah. to the guy just getting recognized. Yeah. It goes back to doing things out of your comfort zone, though, too, right? Like, yeah. it would have been easy, probably a lot easier for him to just stay in his current role, but... When you go into something and you enjoy it so much and you start to see a little bit of success, you're, you're kind of going, okay, well, maybe this isn't what I was afraid of. You know, maybe this, this is in my comfort zone now. And then you just take off with it. Now, look at it. You go to the States and they go, oh, where are you from? And you're like, oh, I'm from Halifax. And they're like, huh? And then they're like, Nova Scotia. And you're like, oh, you know the Trailer Park Boys? And I'm like, we don't, not nuts. everybody from Nova Scotia knows them personally. We just happen to have aired the show before everybody else, yeah. right? Right. My, our, I'll give you our two favorite or at least my two favorite my mom's in moncton for two weeks we're throwing it down old school pin tight <laughs> yeah and then <laughs> that's a pretty good j-rock man yeah i appreciate that yeah and then the other one is uh i i uh i ain't change if i sell what does he say i ain't changed since I, I started selling records no i ain't gonna change since i started selling records i'm keeping it the fuck real yeah <laughs> and we that's why i always thought about this whenever i got like my first like photo with someone that wanted a photo with me i always thought i'm keeping it the fuck real yeah i'm, keeping I'm, not, real. I'm keeping i'm not doing yeah we send that Justin. clip to each other a lot yeah it, it, it humbles us like there, there are some weird moments over the course of that show where uh like we started in lower sackville sitting on coleman coolers kind of between takes and in the hot sun and then uh i think for the first movie or it might have been the second movie the credit bed was can't not be feeling this one of J-Rock's tracks, and I performed it at Massey Hall that was sold out for Ricky Julian and Bubble Show, and it's three tiers of people going, J-Rock, J-Rock. I'm like, I'm not a rapper, but I play one on TV, but I'm performing a rap song that I wrote in front of an audience that paid to be here. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. That's one of those, Dear Diary. Yeah. Literally. never guess what happened tonight. That's great, yeah. I could never, yeah. I got to ask, don't be offended, but you know, you think of iconic roles and people get stuck in them and you got to not reinvent yourself, but you got to somehow get out of it. You know, you think of Seinfeld, like all these George Kramer, Elaine, how, what was your process of it, of getting out of it and altering into something else? Uh, and how did you maneuver it in your head? I, uh, after John O'Vision, I turned 30 and moved to LA. Um, it was sort of self-imposed exile, partially to answer the what if question, like what would happen if I went there? And I found out um, it's nicer than I thought, made friends for life. All the cliches that you assume will be there are there, like the wide-eyed actresses and the sleazy agents. Those people are all there. <laughs> but I didn't expect to find my people there. 
I met people that were ambitious and curious and adventurous and creative and funny. Like mm -hmm. those people are there too. Makes sense. It's the kind of Mecca for my business. But the thing that you can't do there, I discovered, is be a spork. You have to be one thing. I'm a leading man, a Hallmark movie guy. I am a dramatic cop show lead. I'm a sitcom wacky neighbor. In Canada, I can be all those things. Like, I, I hosted a talk show as myself, but there were sketches in which I played characters. People in Canada were like, oh, okay, he's J-Rock now. And okay, J-Rock is the guy on Mr. D now. Yep. Um, you can kind of be a bunch of different things because you have to be. I, like, it's funny. People will sometimes say, like, man, I go, I'll be Noah Dick in Letterkenny. And people will write, go back to the boys. I can't. If I'd relied on being a 50-year-old man in a do-rag to feed my family, <laughs> my life would be much different right now. Um, so I think leaving at the right time has been the thing that's allowed me to have a career versus a role. Did you have advice from someone else when you made these decisions, or did you just... Always kind of instinctive. Instincts? Like, could kind of feel like when it was played out or... Uh, yeah. I mean, in the case of... J-Rock, like I said, I had a kid. I had a wife. I didn't know what else you could do. You just can't go back to, no, I'm saying Randy, inflatable Elvis shit, because <laughs> it kind of gets played out. But as a result, it sort of made it mythical. It might be overstating it, but it's something that people look in the rearview mirror fondly at, right? I, I don't want to be touring as J-Rock right. now. I love it. I, I, yeah. I, I yeah. think, to, if no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, it just, it just seems like it's it's a thought out career path. It just seems like you, you've 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 sat down and kind of thought about the next step before you made it. I, 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 if you know something's going to be played out, okay. Well, and, and uh, not to suggest for a moment that every morning there are ten offers on the table and I have the luxury of sifting through them and choosing. You often don't. You often have to, especially in this part of the country. There's a proud tradition of crossing your arms and saying, "Man, it must be nice." You know, people from Toronto get everything or they have more shows or whatever. You have to generate your own stuff here, as you guys know better than anybody. Um, so all the must-be-nice energy, I've just converted into what's-next energy. Um, so I have had to and wanted to kind of diversify what I do. We have trailers that we rent to movies and TV shows. That's something that happens whether I'm working or not. Okay. Like, if I'd been relying on my gorgiosity during the pandemic we would be starving <laughs> um so my father-in-law always says uh you know how you do 10 things kind of half-assed why don't you pick three and do them properly Full out. great yeah. point so i've tried to pick a few things like some for love some for money some for both but that if the phone stops ringing as an actor we'll be okay in what order do you value these things? Like when it comes mm. to family, money, career choices, like obviously family's number one, but you know, below family, what are the things that you value the most? Family's number one because nothing else matters. And I know that sounds cliche, but if I don't get a gig, my happiness isn't hinging. There, there's no show or role or opportunity I could get that would trump being satisfied and and happy in my home life and i went to la to make it without really knowing what it was and for some people it's <laughs> fame 
Um, I was never motivated by that. I have uh, sort of witnessed or had access to people that were off the charts famous. It does not look fun. It looks sad and lonely and isolating. Um, So for me, it is balance, and I can achieve that here because I've I've made this little cottage industry, make a bunch of shows in Truro for Bell 5 TV, sleep in my own bed in the barn, go for a walk with the dogs and my wife, uh, play some music with my girls. That's a great day, man. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I have enough. I was in Europe recently for a gig, um, took my family with me. It was a great opportunity. And I was in a taxi in Lisbon on the way to the airport. And this guy was probably in his thirties. Like maybe here we tend to think of people that drive taxis as being like, this might be a thing you do later in life or if you have no other option. Mm -hmm. This guy was like the big difference between us and you, meaning Europeans Mm -hmm. and North Americans is we don't need much. We just need enough. Wow. And that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It's such an obvious statement, but he was like, get up in the morning, go surfing, uh, work for five or six hours. It's my job, not my life. Have dinner with friends most nights. Go watch football game in the town square. What a beautiful existence. Sounds amazing. We put all this pressure on ourselves to have like, I I encounter it in small ways when people say some version of like, don't you miss the noise or like, aren't you trying to get on an NBC show or something? I don't have an agent because I'm not pursuing acting work. I'm really creatively fulfilled and uh, happy in life. I don't want to go to Calgary for two weeks to be a guest star on Heartland. <laughs> I don't get a bump from that. Yeah, man. I think that knowledge. just goes to you, though, as, as as far as not having an agent and not knowing what it was, how you've kind of molded yourself into this creative world where now you're able to adapt to all these different roles without actually being like, hey, come do this. You kind of have, you know created your own path and just taken all those roles and ran with them. And that's, you know, it's, that's, I would be proud of that. I know you probably are, but that's a rare, exactly. Most people go to Toronto or LA. Or you take acting school or you you go to Ryerson, like you talked about, you were going to do, but instead you, you created this own lane for yourself and you've been molding like from the extreme of J rock to the principal and Mr. D like those are two opposite characters from the same person, which I think is where a lot of people have a hard time like maybe meeting you in person was you're Jonathan in person, but people know you from TV. Right. So it's like, they're trying to, you're trying to differentiate yourself from those characters, but no, man, that's, it's crazy to sit here and listen to you and, and think yeah. of all the things that you've done and basically on your own. Obviously Classi- you've had classifies help, but... it on the same thing. Kind of like yeah. it's a very, like it's a rare a breed industry for himself. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He just lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, big time. Does he, he doesn't have a, you're, you're pulling my leg. He doesn't have a cottage industry. Does he? No, no, that's, that's a, that's an speech. expression oh. for like, he's created like his own business oh, from the ground head. up. And my apologies. Cottage is somewhere that you're happy with and you're comfortable. So but that's just, the cottage. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like he, He's, did he's you just drop away. a gnome saying on me? Did I know I'm saying? It, it comes out. Many. It just yeah. comes out. But um, it's just, you know. Treat. No, he's someone who's, whose career I completely admire because um, he's the only rapper from Enfield that I know of. Uh, he lives at home. He has a studio there. He tours a bunch, and he's sold a lot of records. Um, but I don't think he's trying to be something he's not. Yes. That's his and and I always think about this, like, uh, my wife just finished reading Matthew Perry's autobiography and he, uh, the guy from friends and he struggled a lot with addiction and painkillers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end he's talking about, you know, I've written a screenplay. I'm trying to get back in the game and I waiting to hear from this A-list actor to see if she'll take my meeting and stuff. 
it just seems there's kind of a desperation to that to me. In a way, I, I feel like you're on Friends, dude. You made it. Still making it. Tap out. <laughs> like, thanks, guys. That was fun. I'm going to go sit on a farm in Wyoming. Take care. Like, it's the it's the waiting for the phone to ring that I think can be soul-crushing. And I would just rather channel that time. Because when I was in L.A., you do get in kind of this weird mindset where you're like, I auditioned for a show called House Busters. And it was to host a show where someone suffered a tragedy in their apartment and they bring in a team of psychics and feng shui experts to kind of uh, smudge the place and give it a bit of a facelift. <laughs> and I was like, man, I, are you sure this is a show? I would never want to host this in my life. Cause the copy was like, Janice, I know this is hard for you cause your roommate was murdered, but have you thought about accent cushions? <laughs> I'm like, what? This is a terrible idea for the show. What? But you get in this weird mindset where you're like, why didn't why didn't they call me back? I thought my audition was pretty good. And you're like, wait a sec. I don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. Why don't I focus on the things I actually want to do and try to get those done? Yeah. And it's and, quicker, too. You feel like you're working harder because then you're not waiting around waiting for the phone to call. It's like, well, there, just, this especially. Sitting with your thoughts. Yeah. You have a manager who's waiting to hear from a casting director who just made, waiting to talk to a director to see if the producer had a chance to watch it with the associate producer. Like, oh, my God. Your destiny is so far out of your own grasp mm. that here, I've witnessed, more money doesn't necessarily mean more funny. Yeah. You can have more trucks and more people and more. It just takes Looks more time. Right oh, yeah. Sorry. Can I ask a question? Please do. Uh I, when I tra- trailer park boys like the lighting, you guys are mostly outside. How how long did it take to shoot one episode? Mm. Most TV half hours are four days. I feel like we could wow. do an episode in three no because way. it was available light and the turnaround time was pretty quick. Right, the the um, during the shoot, there's less lighting time and things like that. During the edit, probably takes longer because there's more footage and more takes to sift through. Did you ever get to sit on the editing room? And like go through your clips in the early in the early years, no. Uh, later years, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing about that show is technology got so good that you can make a movie with your phone now. Literally. So trying to make it look like garbage <laughs> as technology got more accessible became a bit more of a challenge. And we uh, the I directed a, um, episodes in seasons nine and ten and. The camera guy, Peter Sutherland, is awesome. He's a CBC guy, lifelong career camera guy. And he did, I don't know if you remember Rick Mercer's rants. Yep. Where Rick's walking down an alley. Oh, an alleyway. And the going with him and he'll stop. And Graffiti. He tilts yeah, over yeah. and like, un- he's a human steady cam. So the challenge with Peter was to not panticipate. Like I'm going to pan over to someone before they speak. Because if it's really a documentary and you're following the action, you have to wait till someone starts to talk before yep. the camera is on them. And that was something that, uh, we thought about a lot and talked about a lot uh, as far as the premise goes. The premise is cameras are following these three guys, but it's also a TV show. So in some cases, if they're breaking into a bank, it's a cooler shot if the camera's in the bank and the guys come in the window and step over the camera. It's not true to the premise. right? So do you uh, choose to stay true to the premise or um, make the better shot? So it's a mixture of it's kind of, of a mixture, that, yeah. And that, those are things that cool. when you, the average fan, you know, like me or you, would never consider. It's just like, wow, they did a great job on this. But anticipate was the word that I remembered out of that because it's like he knows what's coming as the camera guy. He knows who the next person to talk is. But if you're yeah, shooting a mockumentary, yeah. exactly. So instead of it, him going same thing in hockey when we're doing vi- video, you're anticipating the play because yeah. you know kind of what's going to happen. But to make it not look like that is something that just the average fan would never ever yeah. consider was it, it harder to hit your marks that way like okay 
Jonathan, you got to be at that corner in five seconds while the camera guy's following you. Was it harder to hit the X spot? Well, no, it's it's uh, you're less bound to that because if especially with improv, if I say something different in take five than I said in take four, then that's when it actually feels the most genuine because he has to scramble and like, oh, he's okay, I see what now. you're saying. Yeah, right. A lot of the takes you probably use too. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially especially in comedy, you're trying to shake each other out of the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more fun and keeps everyone on their toes if you're like, I, I don't know what he's going to say. Never know. <laughs> and my secret mission was to make Mike laugh because he operated the camera sometimes when I start, start to shake that noise <laughs> in the pocket. Um, but for Randy, I kind of prided myself on having a different disc spring-loaded for him every Man. take so that it would maybe make him laugh or give him a genuine frig-off J-Rock reaction, you know? <laughs> That's my favorite part. If if I can say anything about the show, it's it's the Randy disses. And my buddy, when he found out that you were coming on, he that he was that's all he could talk about was that. So what a trooper he nice. is. Yeah, like just to be able to take it seriously. Like I think of Lloyd from Entourage and like how Ari just kind of like hammers like, him, hammers him. But like what a trooper to be able to go through that and just take it and just be a, be a pro, be a pro. I always think about that in a in a business that um, people have egos and uh, you know pride. Um, my wife and I were talking about this. Like, there's a character in the show called Ugly Fat Girl. Like, how does the actress going to that audition feel? Right. Like, what are you here for? Ugly Fat Girl. (laughs) But Randy, or Pat, goes into cheeseburger training in the spring, puts, like, 15 LBs back on, gets it nice and bulbous. Like, could not be happier. He was working at Sparkling Springs, probably liked his job, but now he loves his life. He's doing Randy's cheeseburger picnics in... 15 cities Is in the he? states yeah packing them in and eating cheeseburgers and letting people slap his gut dirty old blue 15 Jay bucks a slap yeah. let's go like what a what a strange existence but also awesome it's the world we live in yeah unbelievable he doesn't need much he just needs enough just needs no shirt no i love it that was that 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 was that's deep i love the part about this I love the part of the world that you can drive for 30 minutes and you're in the country. Yeah. That's what I don't like about the big cities. I can go to Bridgewater. You know, I'm there in an hour. Something about the, the wilderness that I really like. It's good for everything. I found during the pandemic, especially when things yeah. got really complicated, like retreating to nature and going for walks yeah. by rivers yes. and stuff. Yeah. It's like COVID doesn't exist here. Right. The trees are the same. The rushing water is the same. Like some people thought it did. I, I saw a mask every now and then in the woods. But did you? Did? you? Oh, yeah. No one, not everybody has that like option you know and that was one thing i noticed because i live in dutch settlements so that's kind of the country and we had just bought the house at perfect timing and i was able to go out and enjoy my yard or you know and it sounds kind of cheesy if you will but you're right it didn't exist there it was okay i can't go to superstore because you can get sick but i can go out and go to the lance falls or i can go and you can just appreciate the things that you never really took time to appreciate before i find that with um especially the number of social media platforms that you could be on now like if you're on them all it's probably nine or ten and just checking them all is probably 20 minutes if you want to contribute or respond that's another hour a day like the columns of time in life like do i want to spend two and a half hours a day checking my social media the the reason it's complicated is for us it's a business Mm -hmm. it's marketing it's getting your name and the word out there and if taggart and i have a show in calgary that's the shorthand way to let people know um but my wife for example is not on social media uh it's not really for her not interested doesn't care what people from high school did she's the happiest (laughs) 
person oh, I know. I bet. She has no uh no stress from those social media the outside world doesn't care i have a buddy who just got off at facebook asked him to put in like his take a picture of his id to get back on it because he forgot his password and he's like that's it but facebook is also instagram so he's off everything now and he's just same thing just so happy doesn't care when you find yourself like you go somewhere pretty and think this would be a nice post what i don't think like that personally i do a bit that's backwards, right? I'm brainwashed in that sense. I a usually bit. do it, but it's my job. Social media, it's like I gotta. Right. It's, it's part of it. I it, not the favorite part of it, but it's part of it. It is what it is. Speaking of cottages and driving out to Bridgewater, it was uh, maybe two, three years Speaking ago. Speaking of segues. Speaking of bridge, <laughs> well, this is a good one. You're gonna like it. Um, my mom actually asked me to bring this up to you because we, well, we were both in the car driving to Bridgewater. And um, it was Sheldon McLeod's last show, and you were on there. Yeah. And I thought what you said was beautiful. You you, you praised him for the work he's done, and you praised mm-hmm. him for the opportunities that he's going to have after. At the time, he didn't really know what he was going to do. Um, it all worked out. I think he's at Saltwire now. But y- you and him had a great conversation for 30, 45 minutes, whatever it was, driving out to the cottage. We sat there. We listened. I just wanted to know what your relationship is with, with Sheldon and, and how uh, – I guess, you know, you went about that conversation because he says some really cool things. He's uh, he's someone whose work I admire. Um, he's a student of the craft and passionate about being an advocate for, you know, local businesses and uh, the arts. Um, I'd never really given much thought to that relationship until in 2015, uh, the Liberal government here axed our tax credit. And this was shortly after I bought this fleet of trailers and it was really going to be damaging to my lifestyle. Um <laughs> And News 95.7, outlets like that, is a great way to get uh, the message out there, whichever side you're on. Like, it never really been a political animal. It felt particularly pointed because most of the people in our community probably were liberals, and this was done quickly and without consultation and just seemed like a bad decision. So we were probably naive in how we reacted to it. Um, But I guess we sort of became friends through that. I guess the thing is with someone like that, you're cruising along, you do this show every day, it's really popular, people really like you, you're thinking about tomorrow, and then suddenly the carpet gets pulled out from under you. Someone recently referred to life's banana peels. I love that expression. <laughs> you're walking along, and then, holy, what the clam? Yeah. Never saw that. But my mom always said, life would be so boring if you knew all the answers all the time. And it's true. Sometimes uh, it's exciting to look ahead and see a blank sheet and think, huh, I, do I don't know what I'm doing, but also I can do whatever I want. Like Kevin uh, in Home Alone, when he's like, my family's gone. Wait a minute. My family's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's the same It's the same statement, same uh, statement with different sentiments. Yeah. So it's just trying to help him encourage embracing the unknown. Yeah, that was great. And it was during that time of the pandemic where it's everyone needed an uplift. You're, you know, you're a special soul. You got that gift that you can make people feel happy, even in, in a character or just being yourself. Hmm. It's kind of cool. Well, did you have, you. did you have that as a kid? Were you the, you're like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah almost to a me. fault. Yeah. Uh, almost to a fault. Like my dad died when I was eight. Yeah. And I remember thinking like shortly after, this is great because I'm probably going to be really independent now. At eight, you like, thought Like what that? a weird way to process some terrible information like being so optimistic so i don't know uh i don't know if the optimism was uh born out of necessity in the wake of an incident like that but i've also read about um people that have 
lost parents or endured things like that as kids, they often go on to do okay in life because when you ask yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, it's not going to be worse than that. It's already happened, yeah. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. So I'll roll the dice on this. Well, I didn't get the part. Okay. <laughs> like by comparison, it's yeah. not nearly as bad. Yeah. At, at this point of the career, mm-hmm. and I, I want to say from the outside looking in, you've, you've, you've achieved your goals. You've made some money. You have a family. Everything's, everything seems great. What's something that you're chasing now that, you know, you, it seems like you've touched everything you've wanted to touch. Is there still something you're going, I, I got to do that. I still put things through the fun money challenge uh, calendar. What's that? Um, the those three criteria that I think of? So, oh, so yeah, any opportunity yeah. that comes my way, uh, even outside of TV, I still consider those things. So, got involved with a whiskey company recently. Yes, yes. Um, that's because it's something I've never done before. I genuinely like the product, and the learning curve is really high. Um, my father-in-law also shared uh, the phrase "false economy" with me recently because sometimes I'll get really excited about an opportunity. But it's so far out the realm of my uh, wheelhouse that there would be such a learning curve that it's false economy to think, I could probably do this and take it on, right? Um, For example, when we bought the trailers, I was trying to undercoat them because I'm a street sense guy. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I'm going to save the money from paying someone to undercoat them. I'll do it myself. took me six days. Don't know if I did a good job. (laughs) He's like, why don't you hire an undercoater to come do it in the morning? And then you've just bought five and a half days of your life back to Bingo. do what you're actually yeah. not so bad at. Yeah. So uh, looking for kicks, um, but also trying to be realistic about what I'm not good at, which is as important a part of the journey. Awesome. And I got to ask, how much time are we at right now? What? Seven hours. An hour and seven minutes. Wow. Jeez, what's your time frame looking like? Um, I have to pick up the girls. At what time? Uh, at one thirty. In, in Truro? Truro? Yeah. Okay, so just we'll, just like 10 more minutes. If yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. Okay. It's funny you brought the girls up. I had this uh, I asked this question to Pat Stay, rest in peace. He uh, has such a unique career and I always thought what's your advice to your children mm. that uh, that want to go on and maybe follow in your footsteps because what you do is so different. It's really hard to, to, to duplicate, yada, yada. But I, I kind of ha- I want the same question for you. It's, what you do is it, it's, it's, it's you. It's, it's personal. It's very hard to, to maneuver and copy. So what's your advice to when it comes to your, your two daughters? Sorry? Yeah. Two, what, well, what's the advice for the, the two daughters growing up when it comes to picking a career choice? It's funny. We, we were talking about this this morning on the drive to school because, mm-hmm. as I said, the homework stuff, there's no deadlines. There's no due dates. There's no stakes. There's no... Co- uh, um, uh, what's the word? Repercussions, basically. Yes. Consequences. Yep. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. There are none of those. It's like a collective shoulder shrug. So I was saying, when you get a job, your boss isn't going to say, 815 is fine, honestly. You're 850. Whatever you drink, <laughs> no problem. As long as you come, as long as you show up. You don't get a ticker tape parade for showing up to work. And I'm worried that societally, <laughs> those are the unrealistic expectations we're creating. Big time. So my advice to them is almost like the registrar from Ryerson in the uh, hammering the learn people's names, say please and thank you, be on time. Um, a big one is learn to take criticism. Because my daughter would say, for example, my dance teacher keeps correcting me. Like She's not correcting you. She's teaching you. Mm-hmm. She's teaching you how to do something you've never done. And that is one of life's great shortcuts. If you can convert the don't tell me what to do energy into you've uh-huh. done this before. I haven't. Tell me everything you know. That is such 
a stepping stone and such a shortcut, but it doesn't feel good to be told what to do. But if you can get over yourself and accept criticism and learn that way, um, that's something I encourage them to do a lot. Because I think no matter what they do, those are skills that will serve them. Translate forever. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what career path you choose as long as you keep those values. Yeah. Good. So now when we go places, they're so appreciative and so thankful and so uh, vocal about it. People are like, uh, easy, easy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, their manners are impeccable. Like at the Sobeys, like, tell me more. How does the cashier work? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. also so, um, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I remember you had a job interview on Tuesday. Have you heard? And they're like, how does this child <laughs> know how to carry on a conversation with someone? Already. Yeah. What? And it's it's my wife in large part. She's so selfless and generous with her time. And they're, they're lovely little versions of her. What was the first conversation like? Like, Dad, why do those people want a picture with you? Like, when, when did that happen? And what was that like? Um, I remember uh, my oldest, who's 13 now, and she was probably about five. She said in Sobeys, why did that man call you J-Ruff? <laughs> J-Ruff. It wasn't J-Rock. She, like, kind of heard it, but didn't totally. Why did he call you J-Ruff? What's that about? <laughs> Um, but they, uh, they challenge, uh, me and, um, ask great questions and we play music together and they're just a good hang. It's like having tiny roommates that best think friends. like you. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Awesome. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. I feel like you just did. You just, yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm going to keep thanking you. I'll be texting you tonight. Thank, thank, yeah, thank, yeah, thank, exactly. thank, thank, thank you. But no, seriously, you know, thank you. It was a real pleasure. Maybe yeah. this is uh chapter one. We'll do it again sometime. So Absolutely. that means you had a good time. I had a you great You weren't offended. Time. No, I was excited. I talked a lot. I'll probably on the drive home be like, you, you monopolize the conversation a little bit. But yeah. I'm usually on your side of the table, and I like to ask the questions. So it's it's a treat from time to time to be asked the questions. Awesome. I might and do you know what you do really well? Hmm. You both do. You, all three of you do, is listen. Yeah, we shut up. Yeah, and that's a rare quality um, in an interviewer, and it's really the only quality. Peter Zosky, one of the great interviewers in Canadian history, said interviewing is like being in the back of a canoe steering and having the confidence to just let your guest paddle madly at the front <laughs> I like towards that. the waterfall. It was a learning curve, though, for us, too, yeah, right? especially for me. So, yeah, appreciate that, though. Yeah, well, the nice. big big mistakes interviewers make is to ask the like six-part question. Would you say you did this, this, was it this, or this? <laughs> and the answer is like, uh, yep. Yeah. The second one? It's like when you're texting and you keep asking questions and the person keeps answering them. It's yeah. just like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Although people that write a four-page email that ends with thoughts, <laughs> I don't like that either. You're great at emailing. You're like a texter at emailing. Like when you said, uh, what did you say yesterday? Yap. Or I, giddy, I, I, up. giddy up. Giddy up. Yeah. yeah. You, you you email like you text. And yeah. Like, like you sprayed, got it. Sprayed, saw it. Yeah. Good for it. Sprayed from my iPhone. Like you're yeah. just, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Quick nice. to the point. Love it. All right. We're out. I'm not going to say thank you again. Get okay. out of here. Get the kids. Um, everyone listening, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate it. It's Wednesday hump day. Have fun. Work hard. You know what I'm saying? When you hear that, when you hear that, we used to watch all over me. Sometimes she would hold me in arms. Smoking on your Rushmore pack. She would begin to talk to the Lord. She would begin to tell the Lord. Smoking on your Rushmore pack. Montana, lies, 
don't phase me. Only surprise when they keep it real. 60 mil strong, now it's time to heal. Crap, we went bonkers. Talk your shit. We ain't just steppers, we the stompers. Talk your shit. It ain't just rap. I made beasts as Grammy nominated. They locked up Max and took chinks, made it complicated. Still send money orders when I get a call from them. Start from the bottom, ain't no way to fall off from it. Word of call, lethal for this game, ain't no exit. I was blessed with Never do a deal while you desperate. Sometimes you gotta let God fix it. Cause if you do, you go in the jail. They want you to write in that cell. Devin Booker with the aim. Be careful who you trust, salt and sugar look the same. Wu-Tang with the dust, nine, six, Sherm, Staten Island with my hoodie on wild. Made millions off violence, drop your shorty off on Kong. I always say this. At the end of the day, this is to be the best. No matter what y'all niggas or what the niggas is doing, when you say who's your top five, all of them is gonna have one thing in common. That's boss, that's boss. Jay-Z, Rep Moss, they should call me Cross Boss. All the niggas that done cross, you won't win me or you lost me. Fiends jumping like a mosh pit, talk your shit. Shorty ripping off my boxes, talk your shit. Took cocaine city to the extreme. They say even the blind man can see in his dreams. It's a movement, not a moment. They kill you just to own it. Black hot, feeling like the Coliseum with the Romans. And you heard of me, coke way boys boost the murder rate. Ghost face in the ghost face, bumping purple. Never judge a book, call a Miller hook. It ain't the Montana from before. I still send your OG to the store. Uh, you can buy the charts, but you can't buy the culture. Me and Fraud back to back, I done told you. Hat. Just like that. Just like that. And that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Back at it, frog. Back at it, frog. Back at it.